0: Hi there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. Today I'm speaking with Khadija Hassan. She's the founder and CEO of CRISPR, a UAE-based ag tech startup, that's Agriculture Technology. Her company is part of a movement to transform food production and reverse nutritional decline, all without damaging the planet. We speak about everything from hydroponics to food security to why the tomatoes you get from the supermarket are highly traumatized. Okay, Khadijah, let's get started in the simplest way. Because I don't imagine a lot of people think about ag tech, or maybe even know what it is. Do you think that's something people think about or know about? I don't think so. I mean, I
1: get a lot of interesting questions about what the heck it is, <laughs> um, and then and then and then you tell them that you're 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 taking basically a, an old building and you're converting it to farmland. So there's lots of big round eyes. People are just very surprised that something like that is possible today, and yet it is. So it's um, it's it, we're just we're just we're taking systems that we're already used to. You know, building control. Uh, air conditioning hvac uh, climate control humidity and stuff and we're plugging those existing systems into you know old buildings and we're creating environments that are suitable for plant growth suitable for food growth and um you know nature has a way of growing we don't have to do too much how
0: did you get involved in this like you were in the corporate world but how did you how on earth did you get involved in this
1: um, just a coincidence, actually, I was working uh, on a startup idea related to um, oil purification, so something that would have a lower environmental footprint um, let out less greenhouse gases and um, that idea didn't move forward at the at the pace that I was hoping for, and so I pivoted into agriculture to try and see you know if there was uh, a startup potential there, and um, I've been looking at it ever since.
0: um okay. So you had just been talking about um, how, how you're just converting buildings and how you, you, you were doing another startup. Can you just go back to the other startup? How did you get into, the, how did you get into this agriculture tech? Because you were in corporate before, not in agriculture.
1: I, I, I was in corporate before. From corporate, I went to business school. And in business school, uh, you know, the options are, at the business school that I went to, the options are go back to corporate, go to investment banking, or go become a consultant you know, with McKinsey and the like. And all of that's great, but I wanted to try something else before I got too old and too boring. Um, and so <laughs> Ted, I looked at... Uh, hey! No, I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> for, for, for me, uh, my family is not the most exciting. And so I wanted to do something a little bit different before I went back to the standard track. Um and uh, the environmental stuff has always been fascinating. Um, I had this school project in, in high school where we were collecting trash and sending it out for recycling and stuff like that. So I had an opportunity to look at, look at uh, an oil purification technology that had a smaller environmental footprint, less greenhouse gases, and less capex. But it you know it, it didn't sort of move forward as you know some startups don't. And um, then somebody had suggested that I look at agriculture. Perhaps there was a startup potential there in terms of improving uh, how we were farming. Um, and and uh, then I haven't looked back since. So I was started with soil-based farming, looking at that. Moved to greenhouses, mid-tech, high-tech, low-tech. And then vertical farming was the one that appealed the most because of, you know, you could you could do a lot in a smaller footprint. I mean, we're urbanization, 85% urbanized globally, probably. And uh, farms need to be not on huge pieces of land. Uh, they need to find a more compact way to to, to to meet, you know, how we're living today. And so it appealed a lot. Um, and, and I haven't looked back since.
0: Yeah, people are talking about this. It's not that we need to have fewer cities or fewer people living in cities, but we need to be able to feed those cities from the city. Is that sort of um, part of it, right? Yeah, like you, you need to be able to have a self-contained city rather than importing everything into it. Now in the UAE exactly. where we exactly. import like 80% of the food, right? Um, at the root of this, it's food security and it's scary. Like it's it's a scary topic because <laughs> when we when you, people say food security all the time and now and then I stop and think, you know what we're talking about? We, we're talking about not having any food. <laughs> We're talking about not having enough food and no one can even imagine that in this sort of plentiful t- society. So can you just talk about that a little bit, how this is tackling that, in, and especially in the GCC?
1: Um, so essentially we're, uh, we're creating farmland out of build- buildings, you know, brownfield buildings. Um, the future, the, the, the you know, the food security is... is very much related now to issues like climate change and and water scarcity. And the GCC water is a huge problem, but globally, we are seeing changes to the climate. And, you know, in California, the fires and the farmland issues, um, other parts of the world, temperatures drop or temperatures rise, and then hailstorms in Kenya last year or the year before. That really affects food supply globally. And with COVID, we also saw that there was a little bit of Panic because imports couldn't happen. Systems weren't in place to tackle anything related to a pandemic. And, um, you know, it, it, we're hopefully we're, we're building for a future that doesn't come to pass. But should climate change accelerate, we do need to find, and, and population growth continues at the rate that it is, we do need to find food sources that are independent of anything that the climate can do. So, climate proof food sources. Um, uh, so the environment shouldn't matter. The humidity level, CO2 level shouldn't matter. Water supply should be so low that you can run a farm on you know bare bones water. Um, so that's that's what we are trying to trying to do. So our system, for example, uses uh, a combination of hydroponics and aeroponics. So we don't use too much water when we're when we're um, uh, growing the plants. So we need to find ways to be independent of all of these restrictions that have in the past sort of chained agriculture and determined where farms could be located where farms could be set up arable land for instance big restriction but if you start growing in water uh, you don't have to be tied down to to, to land for example yeah.
0: so that, how does it specifically work when you're when you're in your vertical farm in your in your in a building what exactly do you see say you okay first of all tell me what you grow and then what exactly would i see if i looked at, at a, 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 a seedling of a plant
1: uh, so we grow leafy greens right now, baby greens, uh, baby kale, uh, some basil, um, lettuce, batavia, butterhead, uh, crispy varieties. Um, if you go inside the farm, you, you enter through this, through a, an anteroom which sort of blocks out uh, outside environmental factors. Then you enter the farm and you see rows of plants, basically, at various stages of growth. So uh, some at like 14 days, some 28, some 30 some 35 and we sort of start harvesting around 30 35 days because that's the right age for a baby leaf but it's lights and it's it's panels and uh, lots of machinery and filters but other than that nothing much there's uh, the environment is kind of like you know it's it's um, it's about 20 22 degrees celsius uh we have co2 that we use for for healthier plant growth and sugar um, carbohydrate formation and um, it, it's very pleasant it's it, it's not, you know, it could be 55 degrees outside and it's, it's, nice, it's and nice, nice and nice and chilled out inside the farm. Why
0: leafy greens? Why is that the first thing you grow, least leafy greens?
1: It's, it's the fastest to grow. Uh, you can get to market with the product uh, very quickly. They have like 30 to 35 day cycle. And as a startup, we, we need to be validating what we're producing as quickly as possible so that we can get to the next, uh, next uh, phase of the company. Um, So yeah, 30 days uh, in and out, you can test the taste, test the flavor with consumers, with whoever's buying and and see if there's a model that can work.
0: And from there on,
1: you can add complexity to the growing by putting in other products.
0: Okay, what can you see happening next?
1: In terms of products in the portfolio? Well, we'd love to try fruiting. Uh, They have a much longer gestation period because they have, you know, you have to wait for the flower and then the fruit to come. So for us, that would be the next stage and maybe add a little bit more, you know, things like spinach and arugula and maybe one or two more herbs to the existing portfolio.
0: Okay. And what about um, nutritional quality? Because we hear, you know, I don't think people know a lot of this about the international, about the food production system, that a lot of the food that we're getting is grown in soil that's sort of been compromised and then the nutritional value of the food is actually lower than it has been in the past. And you mentioned that in your materials. Can you speak to that a little bit?
1: Well, there's a couple of things there. First, the soil itself is not what it used to be. So you do have to supplement quite a bit if you're able to farm at all. The second issue relates to the supply chain. So should you be able to farm and get the right quality of produce out and do it without pesticides, for example? you're basically either farming a crop early or you're, you, so that it survives the long supply chain. Or you're, you, and you, once it gets here, for example, if it's a tomato, you would ideally farm it before it's ready, before it's ripe, before it's ready to be eaten, then you'd ship it and it'd go through various cool chain processes, sit on a tarmac somewhere, eventually make it to a supermarket. But before it makes it to the supermarket, you would have to ripen it artificially um, and, you know, various gases are used in that process. So it, it's not, it's not a ready to eat happy tomato. It's gone through so many different, different it gone through a, processes. It's, it's <laughs> not through a lot to get there on your plate. Trauma. So everyone, eat, everyone
0: talks about trauma. All the tomatoes it. are traumatized in the
1: supermarket. <laughs> 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 yeah. And so you can imagine then what, what is left at the end of the day, because the minute you cut something, it starts deteriorating in terms of nutrition. So the quicker you can eat it, the better it is for you. Um, and when you when you when you um, place farms much closer, like for example, if we're thirty minutes away, if we harvest now and somebody orders our produce from our partners
0: within an hour,
1: thirty minutes, within even the same day, that's just twenty four hours versus the week, ten days, or whatever that poor tomato has traveled. Yeah. So you're you're talking about higher nutrition just by being closer to the market, closer to points of consumption in the first instance.
0: Okay. And COVID did highlight like this global supply chain issues that can happen when, um, when there's a pandemic or when there's a big, big problem. And when you have like local supply chains, can you just talk about that a little bit, like just on the business side of getting the food in no matter what, it, whether it's been traumatized or not? <laughs>
1: Um, will, I mean, it's it's a long process. We're we're great at it. Dubai is great. We're a logistics hub. Um, everything is super super efficient. But during COVID, everything kind of stopped for a bit. Um, uh, all the agricultural land in the world was probably just reallocated to the countries that belong to. And so there was a little bit of um, difficulty in sourcing produce. Now, if you had a lot more local farming, local farming initiatives, just, you know, greater local production, we would have either increased it, um, you know, because vertical farms are usually uh, can increase capacity. We would have just basically sourced locally and helped fill that demand. Okay. Uh, but you there are there aren't that many right now uh, there aren't that many VFs right now uh, there's a lot more work that needs to be done to improve the portfolio increase the portfolio so it's it's a burgeoning industry and it's um, we really need to be acting quickly on on growing the portfolio growing the footprint growing local production so that should something like this god forbid happen we are ready to handle it
0: right um, and the UAE is like working on like Ag tech, there's a national food security strategy, 2051 Abu Dhabi and Dubai are both investing heavily in this. Cause I guess they're looking down the road and it seems that you came at the right time because you, you got a significant amount of funding and you're also part of the Mohammed bin Rashid, uh, innovation fund and accelerator, right? Can you just sort of, can you talk about like how your business is clicking in with, what they're doing, you know, like how you're fitting into that sort of ecosystem that's being built here, and and, and just well, I mean, sort
1: of... was... well yeah. The, I mean, the government is very, very pro food security. They really uh, they're conscious of the issues. Both Emirates have allocated funds. The food tech valley, you might have heard of that uh, in Dubai, that they're working on. Um, it, it's food food security and sustainability. Both are very, very big issues here, um, and. Uh, so our timing was during covid so it helped with the with making a case for the fundraise for getting more money and um our our whole push is food security growing food but doing so in a sustainable manner so water low water footprint for example no runoff no pesticides getting completely clean produce out into the market and that's very much a governmental thing as well right they want to increase local production mm-hmm. so you know food security initiatives are a big part of our our push as well i feel like you know people always have these knee-jerk criticisms
0: of new new technology like what are the knee-jerk criticisms you get for vertical farming like what's the obvious thing that someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about say (laughs) to to discredit what you're doing
1: I think the first key criticism that we get is that we're using a lot of power. And that's a valid criticism. We haven't yet found a solution to go completely renewable, although we are actively actively working on it. Um, And the other criticism is, you know, the agriculture of our forefathers, organic produce. Um, You know, how can you ever compete with anything that's not in the soil or that, you know, that wasn't farmed the way we're used to farming? And the answer to that is that we thought we've, We've had an impact on the planet uh, over the last 200, 300 years. And there isn't that much arable land to go around. There is too much deforestation. You can't cut more trees. You know, I mean, what are you going to do? How are you going to supply the needs of of a 9.5 billion population planet in 10, 20 years? You have to find more innovative ways to tackle the issue without actually making the problem worse. Okay. So that... You know, that for us is electricity is a very valid point. We are so working on it right now. And
0: when you grow a tomato or greens in water as opposed to soil, what is the nutritional difference?
1: Um, Well, we're running tests on that, to be very honest. So I would be hesitant to share that information until the test results come back. Uh, What I can say right now is there's zero pesticide use and the water is drinking quality water. So we, even though we take from Deva right now, we purify that water to drinking quality levels and then feed that to the plants. So traceability, just a very small step. You could come into the farm and you could see how your produce is growing, which is a lot, which you can't say for something that's been flown from 200 miles away. Yeah. Um, pure water used for cultivation and absolutely zero pesticides.
0: Yeah. And it's not like hydroponics is new. I mean, I, it's been around, I feel like for decades, right? Um, For decades. Yeah. uh,
1: And with, sorry, uh, with, what do you call it, with greenhouses. Greenhouses grow using hydroponics. Right. And uh, decades, decades, decades. It's an an accepted form growing in water. Right. And it's not, okay, it's
0: not technically organic. Is it technically organic? Because people get hung up on that word organic.
1: It's not technically organic because what organic is is soil grown produce. Okay. Now we haven't been able to sort that out in terms of a definition. we globally there is a, you know a discussion in place of how to certify this kind of produce because we're still new to the market. But organic is very much a soil based growing technique, and it does not apply to water based growing, so that we could never overlap. Okay. But it what it is is pesticide free, which depending on how organic is interpreted, wherever it's grown, sometimes a permissible level of pesticides is there. So
0: were you, uh, what's, what are you like for what you like to eat? Were you concerned for your own diet? Like, are you someone who's a super healthy eater concerned about pesticides concerned
1: about this stuff? I think I'm definitely concerned about where the food comes from, uh, especially over the last couple of years. You know, you, you really do want to be eating food and not, not empty stuff. Um, I, I like my pizza. So <laughs> I have, yeah. and I'm not that, that picky eater. I love my pizza and my ice cream, but then yes, there are days where I have to be healthy. And so when I do eat a salad or do we eat, you know, kale, it's, you want to be sure that you're eating the right stuff. And, you know, I have, I have nieces and they eat food and you tend to get concerned about what they're putting inside their bodies at that age even.
0: Yeah. What about um, what's your dream for crispr what's your like big dreams for it?
1: <laughs> well i mean we'd love to we'd love to see many more of our farms across the world uh, in the Middle East and across the world as many as we can get so we can we can clean up agriculture we can clean up uh, you know make make the whole system a lot more sustainable um, and get uh, really good quality food to everybody
0: and you can't be there can't be very many women in this field, I'm thinking, but maybe I don't know what I'm talking about. Are there, are you are you are there other women
1: working with you on this? We we have a lot of women in the company, certainly. Oh. I don't have data to support or deny whether there are that many women working in vertical farming as farmers, um, but I, I would imagine that the statistics are what they are for other fields as well. So
0: yeah, and what? What do you think, do you have any direction for people who want to learn more about this? Do you, any documentaries to watch or anything, anything that people could watch to learn more about vertical farming, or do you have resources that they can tap into?
1: I mean, we can certainly help them with that, but there is now a lot of literature and research reports and, you know, papers that people have done on vertical farming, just to sort of educational pieces. I can probably send you some information offline later. But yes, Google is, is quite helpful. Is vertical farming something that
0: you can do at home? Because a lot of people have started gardening at home and growing food just in, during COVID. Like, is this something that people can experiment with?
1: Certainly. I mean, there's, there's um, you know, tabletop systems that you can do. You might not be able to get something as sophisticated as, you know, climate control and stuff, but something that can feed water and provide lighting. Um, I've, I've seen those on the market. I even even hear like some some agriculture equipment companies are selling them for, for people to play around with and experiment with.
0: And where can people find you and get these greens? Where can they start eating them, buying them and eating them?
1: So, um, uh, so we we're listed with a couple of e-commerce partners: Vegberry, um, uh, Maison du Four, Casanato, Kipsons, and we're currently selling through them. Um, they uh, we supply to them, and then they deliver to customers against orders.
0: Okay. And so look them up on look you up at CRISPR look CRISPR up on there and uh, stay tuned because you're moving maybe into fruit and other things and one day could you possibly give us a non-traumatized tomato? Do you think?
1: Fingers crossed. Yes, <laughs> we're working very hard to do that.
0: Okay, thank you so much, Khadija. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.